Hello, I'm happy to be here with you today. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to meet with you all via the video for our online sermon. This is a new experience, and I'm happy to be able to share today about the season of Lent and remembering. Because it has been a while since I last shared, I should introduce myself. My name is Joe Kraftchuk, and I have been attending Broadway with my wife, Heather, and our three kids for around seven years now. When we moved to Chilliwack in 2015, we didn't know many people. We didn't know what the future held for us as a family. Broadway has played an important role for us in helping us feel like we belong and that we are at home. We are so thankful for this church and this community and what it means to us as a family. And we are proud and we believe in the work that Broadway is involved in. With all of that being said, I'm actually slightly nervous to be here today sharing a sermon. The last time I was on stage was March 8th, 2020, for a panel discussion in church. This, of course, was the last time that we gathered as a church family before being paused for COVID. So today, I'm working out some muscles that haven't been used in a while, as I have spent time the past couple of weeks reading, praying, and preparing for today. So I would like to spend some time today talking about Lent. There are different times, seasons, and days in the calendar that hold special significance for us as Christians. We're likely all familiar with the big days to celebrate in the church. Christmas and Easter are two that come to mind specifically. However, there is maybe less of a focus on the seasons or longer periods of time around significant dates for the church. Growing up, the only season that I really remember focusing on in my church was Advent. Since being here at Broadway, I know that in past years, we have been quite intentional about Lent and observing the season leading up to Easter. A few years ago, I remember the series where each week we would cover a pair of windows in the sanctuary, gradually making things a little bit darker as the season progressed. I thought this was a really cool and great way to help us feel like we were in the midst of a specific season, a time that is different than regular church time. It was something unique. Of course, I have to also admit that I love these sorts of things. History and tradition are right up my alley. So the chance to engage in something like that as a church family was something that definitely resonated with me personally. Again, it was the opportunity to do something different and to partake in something bigger than myself. Lent is the season on the Christian calendar that begins with Ash Wednesday and ends after Good Friday on Holy Saturday. That gives us a season that lasts for about six weeks or 40-ish days. That 40 days is kind of the important symbolic number to keep in mind. This was a time period that we see come up a few different times throughout Scripture in meaningful ways. The flood in Genesis was caused by rain for 40 days and 40 nights. In Exodus, Moses ascends Mount Sinai, is up on the mountain in the presence of God for 40 days. In the New Testament, before being tempted by Satan, Jesus spends 40 days fasting in the Judean wilderness. Lent, as a season for the church, dates back to at least the 4th century. It is the time on the calendar that commemorates Jesus fasting in the wilderness. Throughout the history of Christianity, it has been a season marked by its solemn move, moving toward Good Friday, and a season marked by fasting. 
Traditionally, Christians would fast from meat or anything produced by an animal during Lent. Hence, the feasts that would occur on the day before Lent started, Shrove Tuesday, Pancake Tuesday, or Mardi Gras. These were feasts designed to use up all foods that were going to be fasted from during Lent. One of my family's favorite traditions is to celebrate Pancake Tuesday, where we often invite friends over and have pancakes for dinner. Today, we may have a slightly different experience of practicing Lent. Fasting is not only reserved for meat, Instead, we may choose to give up something that we regularly consume or do in place of this literal fasting from food. I don't always give things up for Lent, but one of the things I have given up in the past has been coffee. For me, what I have appreciated about this experience, giving up something for Lent, is that it is the idea of making a small sacrifice, willingly giving something up that I regularly partake in, and a reminder of what has been given up or sacrificed for me. Coffee may seem like a small thing, but as someone who loves coffee and really does not love mornings, this was a sacrifice and a daily reminder of something bigger than myself. Lent can also be about adding something to your life or daily routine for a season as well. The idea that you're adding a daily spiritual practice that you wouldn't normally do. Whether it's a special devotion or time of prayer or reflection, the idea that you are do something different for a time and a reminder that you are doing it as part of a season. The reminder that you are participating in a long-standing historical Christian tradition and that you are a part of something bigger than yourself. Why do we do Lent? Why is it important? I've already mentioned that it was to commemorate Jesus fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. It is also a season and time of preparation for Easter. We have seasons or longer periods of time in the church, like Easter and Christmas, which are very much seasons for celebration. Then we have other seasons, like Advent and Lent, which are seasons of preparation and waiting. There are some similarities between these two seasons specifically. Advent and Lent are both seasons of waiting and preparation for something big that is going to happen, a singular event. They are both moving toward and culminate in this one event. They both also show us that God does things in ways that we don't expect. He does things in ways that appear to run counter to what we know about how things work. God, it could be said, operates in an upside-down-to-us way, which we see throughout Scripture and we see in these two seasons as well. In Advent, we have God sending his Son, the Savior of the world, Jesus, the Messiah, born to poor parents in a stable in Bethlehem. Far from the capital city, far from the palaces, the centers of earthly power in Jerusalem, he sends strength and power in a weak and humble form and setting. It's upside down. It's not what was expected. Then, in Lent, We've had the life of Jesus carrying out his earthly ministry, announcing that he is the Son of God, healing the sick, raising the dead, performing miracles. He's preparing to save God's people. And part of this carrying out the plan is the culmination of Lent on Good Friday. He's crucified. Power and salvation comes not by overthrowing the government or waging war, but instead it starts with Jesus' death. Death at the hands of the authorities. Death carried out in a shameful way. 
This is part of God's plan for redemption. It's upside down. It's not what was expected. God is doing the things that were promised and the things that everyone was hoping for, that his people were hoping for and waiting for. However, they're being done in a way that doesn't make sense to people. They're being done in such a way that a lot of people might not even be able to recognize that they are in fact being done. This is the thing about God. We as people don't have the full picture, but God does. The way God does things may not make sense to us. They may seem upside down, but ultimately we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged because God is faithful and these things are happening. Additionally, they're happening often in bigger and better ways than we would expect them to. Advent and Lent are both seasons of preparation and waiting. They're both seasons where God is working in unexpected ways for the good of his people. The difference between the seasons is that Advent is building towards something exciting and it culminates with the birth of Jesus. Advent is a season of eager anticipation and excitement for what is yet to come. Hope abounds in Advent. Lent is not that. While it is a season of waiting and preparation, the mood is decidedly different. It is somber and solemn. That's because the culmination of this season of Lent is the death of Jesus on Good Friday. This is the event that hangs over the entire season. Lent does not include Easter. It is the preparation and leading up to Easter. It's the foreshadowing of Easter. Earlier on, I asked why we observe Lent and why it's important. Commemoration of Jesus' fasting, preparation for Easter, and it also allows a space and time for lament and reflection. This is an important and unique time and space for us as Christians. Passing over Lent to get to Easter is like skipping over the middle of a novel or fast forwarding to the last 15 minutes of a movie because you only want the happy ending. You only want the resolution. You can do that and feel some satisfaction that things have worked out well in the end, but you're missing large parts of the story it's not fully satisfying. You're losing some of the richness and the beauty when you skip over Lent just to get to Easter. It is understandable why we may be tempted to skip over Lent or not fully engage with this particular season. It is a time that is specifically somber, decidedly not happy. It is a time for reflection, lament, prayer, and acknowledging that everything isn't okay. We can lament things and share those laments with God, whether it be the state of our personal lives or our feelings on the state of the world. Expressing our lament does not offend God. Our suffering and admitting to suffering does not turn God away. It's okay for us to admit and say that everything isn't okay. God laments with us. God suffers with us. Lent provides us the prompt and space to explore these things, these ideas. Through it all, God is there with us. The biblical authors devote a lot of time and energy to crying out to God, especially in the Old Testament. Obviously, there are major differences between an ancient world and the time we live in, but lament and crying out to God is something that we struggle with that the ancient world did not struggle with. If you want to explore these themes of lament and crying out to God, 
The Psalms are incredibly rich with this sort of language. I want to spend a little time now looking at a few verses from Psalm 25, where the psalmist cries out to God, but cries out to God in a very specific way. So we'll start reading at verse 1. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. In this psalm, we have an opening where the psalmist declares their trust in God and why it is justified in verses 1 through 3. This is followed by a couple petitions or requests made to God. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me in verses 4 to 5. Then there is this little two-verse section in verses 6 and 7, where the psalmist requests that God remember three times. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love. Do not remember the sins of my youth. Remember me. I now want to focus on these last two verses. In reading this psalm, I was struck by the repetition of the word remember being used here. Memory and the act of remembering can have different meanings in different situations. To remember something can be a purely mental exercise. I like to think that personally, I have a good mind for this sort of mental exercise. I seem to have a knack for storing and remembering an absolute assortment of trivia and random facts for recall. This comes in really handy for me when I'm playing Trivial Pursuit, when I'm watching and playing along with Jeopardy, or if I'm being invited to be on a trivia team at a pub. There is another kind of remembering, though, that goes beyond this mental exercise of recalling information. And that is a remembering that is accompanied by action. Now, while I am pretty confident in my collection of trivial knowledge and ability to recall it and remembering as a mental exercise, I am not as confident in my ability to remember things that require action. My wife Heather would be very happy to testify to this. I can remember and recite information like my social insurance number, driver's license number, personal health number, and high school locker combination. However, I absolutely cannot remember all four items that I am tasked to pick up from the grocery store. One is a mental exercise in remembering and recalling information, whereas the other requires action. The psalmist here in these verses is not looking for a mental exercise or recall. Rather, he is calling and petitioning God to action through remembering. First is the call for the Lord to remember your great mercy and love. Asking to remember mercy and love is not a reminder for God that he possesses these traits. Rather, the psalmist is asking God to remember and show mercy and love to him and to his people. 
Remembering mercy and love is a call that we need mercy and love shown to us. Just as this mercy and love has been shown to God's people in the past, let it continue to be shown here and now. Second, and this may be fitting after a call asking for mercy and love, is a call to not remember the sins of my youth. Asking for the sins of youth to not be remembered is significant when you think of it as being tied to action. Not remembering as an action will be more in line with forgiving or erasing those past instances as opposed to just overlooking or skipping over them. The action in not remembering is choosing not to remember these past instances. I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I can identify with the psalmist here. First, asking the Lord to remember mercy and love, then following that up by asking not to remember the sins of my youth. This is part of being human, looking back and seeing mistakes we've made, situations that could have been handled better, relationships that were damaged, and asking for forgiveness or that these things are not remembered and held against us. Remember that this is written in a context in the Old Testament where sins are still atoned for by sacrifice. Yet here the psalmist cries out to God that youthful sins be not remembered. Finally, the psalmist asks that according to your love, remember me. A person being remembered is a big deal, and maybe more so in this context. In the world of the Old Testament and the ancient Near East, part of the significance of having children and descendants is that it was how you lived on after you died. You lived on in that you had children to remember you and to carry on your lineage and family line. If you didn't have children, once you died, there was nobody to remember you. No way for part of you to continue living. All of this is happening in a world before Jesus has come and death has been overcome. At this time, you lived on after your death through your descendants and their memories, literally being remembered. The psalmist is crying to God to be remembered by God, the desire to be loved and to be known. Remembering in this context is always more than just a mental exercise. It's an action. This, of course, isn't only an Old Testament characteristic. It is a larger human trait, one that we share. We all have a desire to be remembered, but not merely as a mental exercise or to be recalled, but that we are known and remembered in a way that contains action. I was reading a story recently that identified this distinction in a powerful way for me. Jonathan Charks is a sports writer for TheRinger.com. He wrote this story about his life. His father was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease when he was a child. Over the years, as his father's health deteriorated, he saw family friends fade away over time. And he remarked that by the end of his father's life, the only people that came to their home were healthcare workers. When Jonathan was 21, his father passed away. And at the funeral, he saw several people, family friends, close friends. He saw them there, people there that had not been seen in years. Many of them came up to him and his mother and offered to help. He remembered thinking of them. Who are you? I don't know you. I know of you, but I don't know you. Charks is now 33 and married with a young son. 
He was recently diagnosed with a rare form of sarcoma and a poor prognosis. He writes about his frustration with God at being sick and likely leaving his son in the same situation he was in. He writes this about the future. I have already told some of my friends, when I see you in heaven, there's only one thing I'm going to ask. Were you good to my son and my wife? Were you there for them? Does my son know you? I don't want him to have the same childhood that I did. I want him to wonder why his dad's friends always come over and shoot hoops with him. Why they always invite him to their houses. Why there are so many of them at his games. I hope that he gets sick of them. That is the action of remembering in contrast with the mental exercise of remembering. Even in the midst of unimaginable circumstances and suffering, people have a desire to be remembered and for it to be an action. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Lent is a special season and an important one because we can take time to reflect and lament and cry out to God. Remember your love and mercy. Remember me, Lord. We can acknowledge that we may be suffering and turn to the Lord who has suffered with us. This is a time that we can acknowledge that everything in our world, in our life, in this world, isn't okay. And that's okay. I want to encourage all of us today to try and do something different as a small practice for Lent. Maybe it's carving out a quiet time to hear God in a new way. Maybe it's taking time to acknowledge out loud or in writing the things that trouble you, that weigh on you. Maybe it's a time of discernment of what's next in your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together to look on your word and think about this season. Lord, please help guide us through Lent. Help us to seek space to find you, to listen, to pray, to call out, to lament, to cry out. Be with us as we navigate challenging times, Lord. Be with us as we confront hard things. Lord, we know you are with us always, that you love us. I pray you continue to guide us and keep us and walk with us. I pray this in your name. Amen. I want to leave you today with a blessing from Kate Bowler, an author and professor at Duke Divinity School. This is from her most recent book, Good Enough, and is a blessing for us as we venture into Lent. Blessed are you, ready to open yourself to a new joy, a doorway that until now has been hidden. In this culture of acquisition and gain, blessed are you who desire fresh ears to hear what might be a bit too loud who take the next steps to turn it down a notch and make more space for God, who discipline yourself with time, intention, and hope, anticipating God to show up in your discomfort, trusting that when we need God, God promises to be there. God, give us courage, give us strength, give us hunger for you. Let this set time of less be a chance for more of you. Let this fast be an entrance into the discernment we desire, the divine presence we're longing for, and the hope to will what you will, O God, to be who you've called us to be.
Amen.